everybody. Thank you. Welcome. I just kind of wanted to go first before we get right into this, just a quick background on what occurred this weekend is Saudi Arabia, UAE, Oman, Kazakhstan, Kuwait, Iraq, Algeria, and Gabon all decided on voluntary cuts. And this is plus in addition to Russia's 500,000 barrel per day cut. So that's a total of 1.657 million barrels per day from May to December, 2023. And the stated reason was, this is a precautionary measure aimed at supporting the stability of the oil markets. Saudis, they said that today at the JMC meeting, which was a reiteration of what uh, Saudi Arabia's statement was that came out yesterday. So I kind of want to go into it. First, first I want to go into the FT article that everyone's passing around as to why these cuts occurred. First, the article says people familiar with Saudi Arabia said the kingdom was irritated with the Biden administration for ruling out crude purchases for the SPR for years. And this comes from a statement that Granholm said on March 24th. However, on March 28th, she said that U.S. could be purchasing by the end of this year when making statements in Puerto Rico. So granted, this administration oil policy is about as clear as mud. That aside, Saudis generally are not reactive in this way, particularly as it pertains to the oil industry. So I kind of want to ask, start with Anas, is there any validity to this statement? Because this doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Thank you very much. It uh, seems like we have a lot of things to talk about today. Uh, hello, everyone. Good morning. The news about the SPR is absolutely, absolutely incorrect. So this has nothing to do with the SPR. And there are a lot of speculation and many stories in the market since yesterday. And since we published our report yesterday on Substack, we've been getting a lot of questions and many comments. And people are literally asking the following questions. Is this political? Is this the Saudis versus the Biden administration? Is this financial, which is the Saudis versus speculators in the oil market? Or is this pure economics where the Saudis see the growth in demand for oil is lower than earlier expectations? And here I would like to emphasize a point that the first people to feel what's going on with demand are the sellers because they deal with their customers before anyone else and before even the media or any analysts know about it. So probably they have a feel of what's going on in the market. Or is it like what we heard that the, the view is really cloudy and no one knows what's going on given the banking crisis, probably a financial crisis, probably a slowdown in the economy, probably a recession. We have the inflation. We have the Fed behaving in kind of confusing way, interest rates, the dollar is going through the roof. So within all of this, what to do? So you take some precautionary actions. So some of the questions we covered in our report uh, yesterday were, why did OPEC members cut output? And in addition to everything I said a few minutes ago, whether it's political, economic, financial, etc., is global demand, 
is really way lower than before. If the recovery in China is overestimated, if the impact of the fight of the banking crisis is underestimated, what is the role of the dollar since oil is priced in the dollar in lowering the quantity demanded for oil? All of these reasons, you put all everything I mentioned together, you end up with a mix that is really a dangerous mix. And what to do? You take precautions. So why the cut was voluntary? Why they did it this way? Well, it was voluntary simply because there was no OPEC meeting scheduled and they did not call up for a meeting. And as for those who heard me before, I said any decision to cut or change production is meaningless until we get Aramco OSP. Either it will confirm it, it will tell us what direction to go. So everything we heard about yesterday is not enough. We need to really see Aramco OSP because that tells us the whole story. And they they wanted to do this before Aramco OSP, which means that Aramco OSP was supposed to be a big surprise. We'll see how it's going to go. And there was no OPEC meeting. They needed to, to, to do something. So they ended up with this voluntary idea, which is joined by eight other countries. So it's Saudi Arabia plus eight other countries. The total cut right now is 1.6 something. At least that's the maximum or up to. I'm pleased to report that we were the first one to report the 1.5 yesterday. Everyone was talking about one. And we reported 1.5 and the final number right now is 1.6. Uh, too, I believe. The other issues related to voluntary basically is this. When they did the cut in October, on the 5th of October, the 2 million, that 2 million was from the ceiling. And they managed that in a way, the number was not kind of an arbitrary number. They chose it in a way where it affects only the biggest producers and it does not affect the smaller producers. Why? Because the smaller producers couldn't increase their production to meet their quota and they are not going to agree to any cut. And therefore, to avoid those problems, since the decisions are by consensus, they decided to do it that way. Now, with the additional cut, with the additional cut, that's going to touch, this is going to cut to the chase. It's going to touch those who do not want to cut. And therefore, even if you called for an emergency meeting or extraordinary meeting, you end up with a problem that you are not going to reach a decision. So you end up with a voluntary cut. By the way, should have they cut they should have they cut earlier we published a report in december in the mid, in, on the 22nd of december basically calling saying that opec must cut we it was very clear that they must cut the problem is those small producers what to do with them our idea was okay if they are not going to cut because of various issues related to their revenues what you can do is since you agreed already to the cut to the end of 2023 on October 5th, what you can do is move the second half of the cut to the first half because demand is going to go up in the second half anyway. So you move it to the first half to solve this problem. So the average for the year will stay uh, the same. And this article basically is free. The paywall has been removed for those who wants to check it out. The other question is, why suddenly with no advance notice or leak? I don't think it was kind of uh, sudden since they've been talking about it after the banking crisis. 
but probably there were no leaks simply because of the month of Ramadan, where most of the work, most of the events, most of the things, most of the talk happened at night while Western journalists basically are asleep. And probably that's why there were no leaks. I know it sounds funny, but I've seen it happening before my eyes before. The other issue is if you want to be effective in the market, you are talking about Abdulaziz bin Salman. Abdulaziz bin Salman been there for 38 years. 38 years in every single OPEC meeting, he knows that to be effective, things have to be secret and you have to surprise the market. You have to shock the market. And we have enough evidence in the last 20 something years to show that OPEC was, we were talking about OPEC because OPEC plus is new since 2016. OPEC was the most successful efforts of OPEC were when OPEC shocked the market with surprises. And this was one of them. So that's why it was uh, a surprise. What did the impact on the market? We expected since yesterday that prices will increase. We've seen it increasing today. This is not going to last. This is a knee-jerk reaction because many shorts got stuck simply because when we judge this decision, how we are going to judge it? Based on what? We are not going to judge it based on our views. We have to judge it based on their views, why they did cut. Probably we will never know why they did cut. They are telling us a message. That message could be different from reality. The hidden message or the the ulterior motive basically is completely different from what they are telling us. Because if you look at it in in terms of stability and clarity, you don't get that from a decision where every country is free to produce whatever it wants. So you don't get that. So what is the reason? The bottom line from our point of view is at least it prevents prices from declining. End of story. Back to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Amina made it. Amina, thank you so much for joining. I know it's been a whirlwind for you for the last two days. Can you kind of give us your thoughts on this cut and perhaps maybe some of the reasons for it? And, you know, there's a lot of talk that you know, we had a note from Citibank come out today and basically said, oh, these guys always cheat. You know, this is, you know, this cuts really no big deal, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my, you know, I think that after 2020 debacle, everybody's been pretty set on keeping in line. What are your thoughts on this, please? Hi, everyone, and thanks, Tracy, for organizing this. And Ramadan Karim to everyone observing. I just had my iftar now. I agree with Dr. Anas. It was an absolute surprise. It really shocked the market when it was announced. And for me, it just came a few minutes before having my iftar. So it was kind of a very, very eventful couple of days, I would say. Now, let's get to the reasons. Why is this cut happening now? I mean, it's no secret to all of us that this cut was Saudi-led. So one of the main things that Prince Abdulaziz has been saying since his appointment as minister is that he will not let speculators get hold of this market. What we've seen in the past couple of weeks with the banking crisis is that there was a lot of speculations between traders, market observers, even analysts saying, uh, you know, we're entering a recession or this is going to have an impact on oil demand. Why isn't OPEC acting, et cetera, et cetera. 
So initially, the reaction from OPEC Plus was to kind of wait and see how this plays out. But when it was evident that this voice, this speculation, was gaining control over the market or swaying the market in in a certain direction, OPEC Plus and its members, they needed to step in and tell the market who's boss, regain control over that steering wheel and guide the market. $80, I mean, we saw post the initial news of the banks collapsing, etc. I mean, of course, the prices fell to 70, but they recovered to 80. $80 for many Gulf states is not a bad price. And if you look at break evens, etc., it's not about price. And any veteran in OPEC will tell you with certainty that the group alone cannot control prices. They know that. In some decisions, they even choose to cut production and you see prices going up. I mean, the market is difficult to control. But in this instance, it was necessary for them to counter this speculation, to counter uh, the forces impacting the prices, and to remind everyone that OPEC is not sitting on its hands and it will take action. Are there changes from the fundamentals at the moment? I mean, we just learned that from the JMMC that met today that there were no revisions made on the fundamental side. There were no revisions made on demand or supply. So they're still waiting to see what the impact is. However, they couldn't just sit around and and allow the market to be driven by the speculation. And I think uh, the surprise factor was very important and it had that effect on the market. It was a shock. And this is what's causing uh, the initial knee-jerk reaction. However, at Energy Intelligence, we are seeing $90 being back on the table, given that these voluntary cuts are going to last till the end of the year. So these are my initial thoughts, Tracy. Thank you very much. And then Abdulaziz, can you kind of give us your thoughts on this as well? Hello, Tracy and everyone. Thanks for having this space. I tend to take a different approach towards this. My approach is the previous production level has sustained six full months from October all the way to the end of April going into May. What took OPEC or OPEC plus this long to decide that there needs to be further cuts to the market that is undergoing severe levels of uncertainty and the risk of demand tumbling down given how the financial markets have been reacting lately. Now, back in January, we were talking about China lifting its zero COVID policy and the implications and how long would it take until demand comes up. Well, it's been almost four months now since China had lifted its COVID zero policy and the implications or the the prediction methods might indicate otherwise. So there is a message that is within this decision as to what is for for the oil market in the future. Now, the other approach is, was this a surprise? I don't really think it's a surprise. If it was a surprise, we would see prices reacting more than 10% increase. It didn't go any further than 6 percent now it's about 4.5 percent so i don't really think markets were severely surprised given how markets have been approaching the oil prices movements especially in the papers markets paper papers markets have been undergoing severe 
manipulate, well, I'm not going to say that word, but it has been going different management mechanism that were not very intuitive to somebody who is monitoring the changes that are going into the demand picture more than the supply picture. So in my views, it took OPEC six months until they adjust the supply picture. Thank you for those thoughts. I think that's really good. And so uh, let's kind of move to the Fed and then we'll go back to OPEC. Albert, being that this probably pushes oil prices even higher for longer, you know, what kind of position does that put the Fed in? Well, it puts the Fed in a really precarious position because in their view, there's only two things driving up inflation and it's energy, specifically oil and wage inflation. They're not ready to admit politically that wage inflation is one of the key drivers, but they're certainly more than eager to take on the oil market and scapegoat the Saudis and everybody else in the world and the Russians for inflation in the United States. I'm going to take a little bit of a different look to the what's going on here in the, the production cuts is I know that the Fed's been playing around in futures and trying to drive the price of oil down for about six months now. And I mean, they've used up to seven, eight hundred million dollars in futures contracts just to sit there and bring the price down specifically to combat to combat inflation. So from my perspective, the Saudis and the rest of the OPEC members were looking at this and taking the White House's word that they refill the SPR at $70, and that obviously was going to happen. And they just had to act in their self-interest, and that's 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 that in that respect. For the Fed, this clearly indicates that there's going to be at least another two more, uh, two more rate hikes, and it takes rate cuts completely out of the picture for 2023. Michael, your thoughts on that? Hello. Thank you, Tracy, for having me. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Michael Nicoletos. First of all, if you look at the price of oil, I, I, I'm not a, a specialist to tell you why this happened. Uh, the, the, my, the, the previous speakers were more knew, know more about it, but I can talk about inflation, I can talk about the Fed. In that regard, oil is lower than where it was last year. So on a year-on-year change, it hasn't done much. Yes, it's a good excuse for the Fed to continue raising rates, but this is a supply issue. And when, when inflation comes from the supply side, rate hikes are not that effective. So if, if the Fed continues to raise rates, which I think is going to be tough with what we've seen in the banking situation in the U.S. and in the world right now, it will create even more pressure. All the leading indicators are showing that the U.S. economy is slowing down and is likely to slow down further. And clearly the people in the oil business know that better than us. And I think that should they continue to raise rates, it will be it will be tough. It feels that there is one more rate hike for the Fed, but even that one, it, it it's deba- debatable. Uh, depends on what happens in the banking system and what happens with interest rates in in the banks and where are the the short term treasuries. Right now, the spread is pretty big, so depositors have an incentive to leave their bank deposit and go into U.S. treasuries, which creates a liquidity problem for banks. If that continues then the Fed will have to stop or will have to do something about it because things will get out of control after that. Thank you. And then this is kind of an open, I'm just going to open it so any any of our speakers can chime in on this. But do we have any thoughts on how the Biden administration is going to react to this? I mean, drain the SPR more or revive NOPEC or export curbs or <laughs> do nothing? Any thoughts on this from any of the panel? 
Specifically, Tracy, I, this is Albert here. I think that the Biden administration is going to pursue giving waivers to Valero to import Venezuelan oil a little bit more. I mean, Chevron's got that, but you know, having Valero uh, produce more in the United States is certainly going to be beneficial for the U.S. in terms of prices of gasoline, which is all they really care about coming with the coming elections. So that's that's one thing that I think will probably happen from the Biden administration. Anyone else have any thoughts on this? I saw that the reaction so far, Tracy, has been kind of measured. I mean, compared to the explosion that we had in October, the reaction so far is negative, but more measured. There has been speculation that NOPEC might be revived, but nothing firm on that yet. So, yeah, no, I, I don't have any insight on uh, what they plan to do, but I hope they plan to refill SPR. It will be in their own interest. Yeah, let, let's remember that yesterday was a Sunday, which is a holiday, and we are still half day on Monday. So I think it's very hard to make conclusions about it. We'll see how it's going to go in the next two days. I hope they refill the SPR as well. My gut feeling says they're going to drain it more. Yeah, I, this is this is Albert here again. I don't, I don't think that they're going to fill the SPR anytime soon. They know they're they're really keen on trying to keep energy inflation down so CPI doesn't skyrocket for the remainder of the year. So I just I don't see how they're going to try to start, you know, refilling the SPR at these, especially if oil starts surging past $85, $90. Abdulaziz, you had your hand up? Yeah, I wanted to say, regardless of how is the Biden administration going to approach this, in what way they're going to approach it, the big question is, what exactly is the plan? And in that plan, how many... Uh, how many participants would be participating in making that plan happen for the oil market. It's not about one tactic of using SPR or incentivizing Valero or whatever it is. It's about a mega plan that would actually influence and take a lead, if possible, in the oil market. That is, to me, far more important of a question to be answered. Oh, good point. I don't know. Bullard came out, uh, was speaking, another Fed question, kind of, I don't know, Bullard came out this morning and said, obviously, you know, this oil, the, the oil release, or the, the oil cuts were a surprise, and obviously we'll have, what is the lasting impact, and basically said it's hard to track, some of this might feed into inflation, making our job more difficult, so he was kind of wishy-washy on that. Does anybody have a comment on that? Yeah, again, it's Albert here. I don't think this took by the Fed by or the White House by surprise. They knew this was coming. They rallied the market for the past week and a half on zero news for for one reason only, and it looks like they knew that this oil cut was coming, and they're just preparing for it for you know for future market turbulence. What should we be focusing on going forward into this, especially for I know there's a lot of traders on stream right now, a lot of investors on the stream right now. So, what should we be looking at? Going forward, as far as the OPEC side, whether that's the OPEC side, the Biden side, the markets in general, and ask, can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. What we yes. Be uh, first, first of all, we need to focus on the Aramco OSP and study its implications. So that's number one. Number two, before the announcement of OPEC, we already have a problem in the United States where gasoline prices were diverging from oil prices which means that we have a serious problem because uh, gasoline inventories right now are at critical level. They are the lowest on weekly, pay, on weekly basis since 2014, which means that even without the OPEC cut, 
the Biden administration was in the corner because they couldn't blame OPEC, they couldn't blame the companies. Unfortunately for OPEC, yesterday they give Biden the excuse, although the gasoline problem is not related to OPEC, but now they give him the excuse to blame OPEC for the higher gasoline prices. So I would watch the products inventories in addition to Aramco speed. If you saw the ISM numbers came out, which were like 46, uh, this is clearly contractory. And I think that going forward, we need to pay attention from the economic side, how, how fast the economy is going to deteriorate. It feels like it's going to speed up. So there are two things here. Market will try to, to, to trade the pivot. And that's what we've seen. That's why the markets are keep hold. They, they hold up because they think the pivot is coming. And it could be. That doesn't mean that if the pivot comes, the market continues to rally. It could be discounted. So I think looking at the macro in the U.S. is pretty important. The ISM number was bad. We need to see the, the, the payrolls. And looking also at China, which last month's data was not that uh, reassuring. So there is a global slowdown. It feels to me that the oil cuts came because there is a slowdown. Maybe there are some politics involved. But it feels to me that the economy will slow down further. And this is what we need to pay attention to and see the, the, the Fed will have a tough, tough situation here because inflation will not fall that fast and they will come to, to a point where they'll need to cut rates or pause and it won't be an easy one. If history is any indicator, the Fed has quite a few times stopped raising rates as inflation continued to rise and, and inflation came lower after that. So if history is any, any indicator, the Fed has done this before. They have they have stopped raising rates before inflation has fallen to the levels where they would want it. So th I think that's what we need to pay attention to. Well, in that respect, I mean, if, if, uh, if we have seen, uh, I mean, everybody else is kind of stopping raising rates, right? So that leaves the question is, can the Fed keep raising even though everybody else is kind of on pause? Well, I think everyone was following the Fed. It was not the Fed. It was not the others leading the Fed. So the Fed started raising rates and everyone started raising rates as well. But everyone else was raising rates for the simple reason they needed to raise their, the value of their currencies because energy is an import and it's priced in dollars. So inflation, especially in Europe, was coming from the supply side and coming from a euro falling further, so creating an even more creating even more inflation pressures. So I think the, the rest of the world posing is not a leading indicator, but it certainly shows that things are slowing down in the rest of the world faster than they're slowing down in the U.S. And Abdul Aziz, did you have, I saw your hand up, did you have something to add? Yeah, just along the lines that Michael was talking about, and that's that has to do with what the Fed is looking at at versus what the OPEC plus group is looking at. And in my views, what the Fed is handling is purely monetary policy oriented approach. Whereas to the producers, this is purely a fiscal planning issue to them and their economies. And between those two dif differences, the the implications is there are more turbulence to, to be coming further on because people are handling one issue in different ways. My question is, 
then on the same respect, do these cuts mean that we should be extremely worried about the health of the global economy? Is this, you know, should we be looking at this as in we're in big trouble? I think we were in trouble before the rate cuts. The, the question is, when were, was the trouble going to show up? The, the speed of the rate hikes is unprecedented, and the amount of liquidity drain was the equivalent. So I, I think there is some turbulence ahead. There was no, uh, this was self-evident, I think. The question is, was of when, not an if. Now, the, 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 the fact that the, uh, the OPEC cuts production, I think it, it confirms that. It's not something that to get us more worried, in my opinion. Thank you. Anybody else thoughts on that? Tracy, I'm a little, I'm a little bit more bullish on the global market, the global economy, specifically in Europe and Asia, because they've been, you know, as I've said, a long time, multiple times before. They're in a zombie state where their manufacturing hasn't really kicked up, their travel season hasn't kicked up. I just think that as as the rest of the world starts to reopen from their COVID uh, hangover that it'll be you know quite bullish for oil in the long term but in the on, on the other side of it it's very inflationary i mean the europeans still have major problems with inflation specifically super core and services so it's just that's my view and i think i'm a little bit more bullish on the on the global market overall good to hear opposing views i love it uh abdulaziz did you have a comment i saw you from the OPEC plus decision, it looks like their technical and mathematical approach, risk is handled with probabilities. But OPEC plus is not really taking any chance with probabilities. Instead, they're, they're, they're trying to approach it in a variogram variability a possibility. That's why we see this cut being so severe. Tracy, I have one more comment. We have, we always as you know, we've been talking about the data quality since 2017 and how the data been deteriorating since then. And with the large number uh, of ships now going dark, shipping the Russian oil, of course, this is the largest black market ever and the data is getting just worse. And what we've gotten since yesterday, because as I mentioned, the it, the way this deal is structured is not enough. And therefore, I guess that they are going to go with this start on the 1st of May. They are going to meet in June and it might end up official in June. If it ends up official in June, that's what gives the market clarity and give it stability. But as long as countries right now have the option to produce or not to produce or produce 5,000 or 50,000 or 100, etc. This is not good for the market. But if they make it official by June, that will be something to watch. And the reason why I want to mention this, because everything we've seen since yesterday contradicts OPEC views. If you look at OPEC forecast for 2023, it does not fit with what we seen yesterday. So what we are going to see then by June is that OPEC revising its numbers to match the decisions that are being made by OPEC. Otherwise, 
that issue of data quality is going to continue. We have a lot, a whole gray market right now with Russian oil as it is. And so you know, it's getting harder and harder to track. But there was actually a question for you, Anas, from United Man. He said, can you ask Anas about the recent California refinery margin limit decision that they have passed? And how is that going to impact after all of these decisions? We don't know yet because... What we've seen today, for example, just to give you an example why it is hard to answer this question. Today, we've seen oil prices going up by $5. That's increasing cost. But gasoline inventories are very low. So what the result of those two contradicting factors on the refineries, we got to wait and see. Refinery stocks went crazy today, but will this last? We'll see. Thank you very much. Does anybody else, does anybody in the audience have any questions to ask our panel? Feel free to come up and ask questions if you want. Did you have a question, Mickey, or a comment? Yes, I have a question. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, um, everyone in the panel. It's great to listen to you. So I, I have a question sort of piggybacking on some things that Dr. Anas said. It sounds like to me that the goal of OPEC is to, you know, not leave any money on the table to, to make as much money as possible from the oil price, uh, which is built on supply and demand. And that basically everyone was, had been forecasting, you know, Asia, China to reopen, and that there'd be a huge demand coming out of China, and that that would lead to high demand for oil. And it made sense for OPEC then to leave prices where they were. And there was sort of high-level meetings. And then following these high-level meetings, it sounds to me like maybe, you know, members of OPEC called each other and said, hey, we need a, a way to maybe increase prices uh, through the end of the year because it looks like we're entering into a global recession. And if we're entering a global recession, uh, keeping oil price, keeping uh, oil supply where we are, the price could go further down, which would have all kinds of secondary effects like tightening of credit and capex and these sort of things. And Dr. Ross, I'm wondering what impact, uh, I have two questions, a two full question. The first question is, what impact do you think this announcement would have on capex for, on credit for capex? Do you think this would have any um, any loosening of the of credit for that? And the second is, do we have a, do you have a sense of where demand or a prediction on where demand will go? Like everyone's saying, oh, oil prices are going to go up. And if oil prices go up, then our CPI is going to go up. And if CPI goes up and the Fed's going to start printing, that seems to me a bit panicky because we don't know if, if demand just continues to fall or doesn't increase much, then price may not really move. So do you have a sense of our prediction on, on demand? Regarding the first question is depend on where you stand on this cut. Our view that we published yesterday, and probably already seen it since we talked yesterday on the space, probably already seen it, that this cut basically is intended to prevent a decline in oil prices. So in a sense, it did set a floor, but the current increase in prices may not last. But again, it depends on where you stand from this cut, whether you think it's going to have an impact or not. As for demand, I would like to refer you to our 2023 oil outlook. We uh, refreshed that in the last two days. And yesterday, again, it did not change much from what we published in early 20, uh, in early 2023. Anyone can just search Google EOE, EOA, 2023 oil market outlook, and you will find it. It's available free. Paywall has been removed. And you can see all the demand estimates and our demand estimates versus others. Our demand estimates are lower than others. And in fact, matches what OPEC basically, or how OPEC reacted yesterday. 
just what we were hoping basically is that OPEC will cut from early January, not from May. Can I ask a follow-up? Thank you so much, Dr. Nas. This is excellent. Just a follow-up. You mentioned earlier that the oil price would not does not have an impact on the U.S. gasoline price. Can you explain what you mean by that? No, I did not say that. Let me rephrase uh, just to emphasize what I said. There, w- there was a divergence of gasoline prices from oil prices. For example, uh, I'm just making this up, okay? If the oil price going in a certain slope and supposedly the gasoline price will go up with the same slope. Now the gap has increased simply because of the refining issues. So the gap between oil prices and gasoline prices widened. Is that clear? Yes. So you're saying that the price between oil and gas has widened and will continue to widen because the increase, the potential increase in oil prices? Because of the refining problems. Thank you so much, Dr. Ernest. Tracy, I have a quick question for Anas or any other oil guys um, outside of OPEC and whatnot. But when do we think that the French strikes are going to start to matter? I know there's 20 million barrels or so floating offshore at the moment. But when is that going to start to reflect anything on the oil market? I think it's already reflected. We have a serious problem. You know, we talked earlier about data quality. We have a serious problem with data and the media understanding the data because you have certain trends going on and then a big bang happen and all the news and all the coverage is on the big bang and that big bang basically hide that trend that's been going on and that's really what we have right now we the banking crisis had several trends that's been going on in the oil market and one of them is the impact of the strike remember that until just a few days ago prices were going down and we were expecting basically a major liquidation because the cost of shipping and the cost of holding those ships is extremely high and they cannot last more than a certain number of days. So the trend was there. The, the issues were there. It just the banking crisis kind of covered all of that. Thanks. Abdulaziz, did you have any thoughts on that, on the French strikes? And what does that mean for the oil market right now? And is it affecting the oil market? Well, I think now that the, the futures market are very far from where physical market pricing mechanism are indicating, it makes the futures market, especially that they only represent a fraction of the physical market, that makes the futures market not very indicative of where prices should be. And if you look at the speculation activity, uh, speculators have been changing massively their calls and puts over the past four weeks, and they're leaving the pricing indications uh, instead suspended on what sentiments and what uh, what little barrels are representative of the oil market. However, uh, when we say there is a separation or a disconnect between physical and paper markets, it's very important to also notice that today a physical market is undergoing even more barrels that are not accounted into the count. Uh, Much like what Anas just said, data quality is deteriorating. And it's, it's deteriorating not because nobody's buying oil, 
Far from it. It's because nobody knows how pricing is being conducted when there are so many sanctioned barrels going into market and we don't know where exactly these transactions are happening. The physical market is no longer being measured on terms contracts or the spot contracts of um, Singapore or Rotterdam or Houston or the big ports. Instead, they are now measured by what happens between the exchange in the middle of the ocean. Sorry, kind of lost. Stacey, lost uh, that last time. Stacey may I, I just want to jump in here to mention something about the French strike. We published a report last week, and the report, basically, the main theme of it is the largest impact of the labor strike, yes, it did impact uh, petroleum products prices within France, but it does impact the natural gas market of the whole of Europe. Because what analysts missed on this one is that the, uh, France is a gate for LNG. And the impact on Europe is severe. And therefore, this winter is getting worse if it gets cold, of course, but it's getting worse because of that strike. So the, the, the French strike, because it did stop the LNG facilities and that gas supposed to be flowing to the rest of Europe too. And that's a big problem. Back to you. Thanks, Albert. I know you watch China a lot. So what are you seeing as far as demand, demand is there? I know I, it's like a million dollar question that everybody's asking, but I just wanted your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, China China had a plan to reopen in January, and obviously we talked about that on other podcasts. Their opening, their reopening has been staggered, and they've been very careful to not surge demand from their side simply because of the pricing and whatnot. I mean, inflation is a problem in China, just like it is everywhere else in the world. Uh, they've been really smart where they've been buying, they bought a lot of oil during COVID and while it was down in the, you know, 50s and 60s and whatnot. So I don't think that, I don't think that China demand is going to be such a, an aggressive bull market case for oil because just simply for the fact that they're staggering the reopening. But, you know, over the long term, six to 12 months, obviously, you know, China coming back online is certainly going to be, you know, a, a good, a good move for, for oil. Does anybody else have any thoughts on China? The million dollar question? No? Uh, well, <laughs> I feel that China has some serious issues and the dollar strengthening puts more pressure. So as long as the Fed is raising rates or even if they pause and they don't lower rate, the pressure will be on, the, on China. And the data doesn't show last month's data. The, the, the economy is not rebounding the way they would expect. Will they reopening? I, I, I think uh, the growth uh, for coming from China, and I'm not talking about oil, I'm talking about the economic, uh, the economic situation, is going to be a bit sluggish. I, I don't see how China can really grow right now with everything happening and with the U.S. trying to curb, you know, imports, capital, everything. So I, I think this will intensify going forward. I think China will face some serious headwinds going forward. There's kind of some mixed messages, Michael, on kind of what, how the EU is handling their relationship with China. One side, they have kind of the U.S. pushing them for kind of a separation of that relationship. But meanwhile, uh, you know, we've seen the bureaucrats in Brussels, you know, von der Leyen say, you know, 
we want a good relationship with China. So where does the EU really stand in that? Well, the EU is stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> On the one side, they need China because it's a very big export market. Europeans are exporting a lot to China, for example, cars. I'll give you an easy one. And on the other side, they understand the situation between the U.S. and China, and they do not want to agitate the U.S. too much. So I think they're stuck in the middle. They try to play both sides. It's not going to be an easy task. I think they'll try to muddle through. I think China, China reopening is not an obvious positive for the renminbi. You know, then you, you're sort of boosting imports and that that threatens the current account surplus. I, I completely agree with consensus. I think you're seeing even tighter capital controls. And I think a lot of these high-level meetings between Xi Jinping and global leaders probably is more of a signal of fear in China than anything. Thank you. All right. We're coming up on an hour. Any final thoughts from anyone before... We end this space. I want to thank everybody for their time today and for the last minute notice. I really appreciate it. Just one comment regarding the talk about the dollar, the yuan, etc. A lot of people have been talking about this. I just want to clarify two points. That the story about the headline that was China and Brazil agreed to trade in local currencies. That was last week. That was a headline in 2009 and nothing happened. And it was repeated again in 2013 and nothing happened. So let's put this aside. The other story about China, LNG, and the first deal on the Shanghai exchange of LNG, the first shipment between Total and Snook. And let's remember this because the media told us only one part of the story about the deal between Total and Sinuk. And the real story is, how did they get the LNG, the first thing from the UAE? They paid in dollars. Back to you. Excellent, excellent point. So I didn't bring up on this on this, on this space because we talked about it in another, but I'm glad that you did bring that up again. And I think that's important for people to understand. Anybody else, any final thoughts? No, <laughs> no takers on that one. All right. All right, then, guys, I, again, want to thank everybody for taking time out of their day, especially when I scrambled and call, uh, called everybody last minute. <laughs> so I do really appreciate that. And I hope that everybody has a great day. I hope uh, this was informative for everybody. It was for me. And we will see you on the next spaces. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.